0: you're listening to true heart amy and scott mallon dive deep with celebrities mavericks visionaries and real-life heroes to find out what sets their souls on fire get ready for some trockings here's amy and scott hey everybody we're amy and scott mallon and you're watching or listening to true heart we are so happy to have you with us for another amazing episode Don't forget to head on over to wherever podcasts are found to subscribe. And if you want the full experience, you can find us on YouTube and subscribe there. And you can leave us a five-star rating or a positive review. We really appreciate it. It helps us grow our community.
1: And don't forget, if you're ever searching the web, uh, head over to trueheart.com and search the web through our search engine. It powers donations every single time you search. It's easy and free and it helps raise money for six amazing nonprofits that are out there protecting the planet literally saving lives like smile train who we're going to talk a lot about today uh, promoting animal welfare feeding the hungry around the world uh, supporting our youth and also fighting for equality you get to do all of that stuff really help transform the world just by searching the web
0: yeah so please join our community we'd love to have you with us and today's episode is really special because we're entrepreneurs. Scott and I have owned our own businesses for over two decades. We know how hard it is. It's a wild, crazy, beautiful roller coaster ride. There's tough days, but there's also beautiful, amazing days. Um, but you just have to never give up and you always have to keep pushing forward. And, you know, as people who've bootstrapped our businesses, we know that there's lots of challenges and adversity to overcome. But I think if you can find a mentor, someone who's been there, done that, um, found a lot of success in your industry that you can learn from his or her failures or successes, there's so much value in that. Someone who's cheering you on and giving you counsel. One of today's guests, uh, Dave Liu, has um, been uh, a mentor to us over the last few months that we've had the pleasure of knowing him. And we're so grateful for his support and being able to bounce ideas off of him. So it's incredible to share his inspiring story and his journey on today's show as well as welcome an absolutely incredible 11-year-old boy named Zach Pagan and his amazing mama, Allison, to share their family's story and how the three of them are interconnected with a charity that we love so much, Smile Train.
1: Yeah, I, I just want to say that, you know, Amy and I have always kind of started our own businesses and kind of, you know, done our own thing. And it's a beautiful thing, you know, but you don't get that stable paycheck. You're not, you know, have that same security on the flip side, get to wake up every day and do something you really want to do, something that you started that you believe in. And if you do that, if you're willing to put in the time and the work and just be scrappy, uh, the reward is also much greater at the end of it because not just talking about financial, but just the fact that you put something out into the world that you believed in and people responded to and it helped made people's lives a little better, maybe made the world a little bit better. And so talking and finding someone like Dave, who's just such an industry pro and has mentored a lot of people, it's so invaluable. And the things that you know, we're gonna talk to Dave about a lot of the stuff's not, you're not going to read in books. This is stuff you learn, you know, at the school of hard knocks just by going out there and doing it. And Absolutely. that's what we want to really get into, you know, talk to him about, Hey, Hey, how do you really, you know, how did you do it? You know, how, do, how can other people do what you did?
0: So let's meet today's guests and have a great time. Dave Liu is a 30 year veteran from wall street and Silicon Valley. He's raised $15 billion for hundreds of companies, started four companies, and had multiple billion dollar exits as an investor. He's the author of a career book, The Way of the Wall Street Warrior, Conquer the Corporate Game, Using Tips, Tricks, and Smart Cuts. Dave is a graduate of the Wharton School, and he received his MBA from Harvard Business School. One of the coolest things about Dave is that he's overcome adversity and pays forward his blessings to help others. He was born with a severe case of a bilateral cleft lip and palate and underwent almost a dozen surgeries throughout his childhood. Dave overcame hearing and speech difficulties common to cleft children and has dedicated his life to helping disadvantaged communities. He's a big supporter of Smile Train and numerous other deserving causes. Let's get into it with today's guest, Dave Liu. All right, so Dave, let's jump into your personal story because it's fascinating and inspiring and you know, most people don't realize that globally, every three minutes, a baby is born with um, a cleft, and many kids with clefts experience difficulties with breathing, and speaking, and eating, and hearing, and so many different challenges in their life. So, what was it like um, for you um, being born with a severe cleft lip and palate, and undergoing almost a dozen surgeries in your childhood? Yeah,
2: so it's, it's a it's a really a, Strange, uh, you know, experience growing up with it because you and I don't even remember how young I was, but it probably was five or six. Where for many years you just don't realize that you have these scars uh, on your face, and you have your own view of what's normal um, because you're surrounded by you know people that love you primarily, like your mother and your father and your brothers, and they they don't react any differently to you. Um, and so I remember, and it might have been kind of the early times I, I first started going to school, when I started getting really weird stares. And, you know, it never dawned on me that, you know, the scars on my face would be, uh, you know, jarring or upsetting or, uh, you know, even, even spark, like, you know, weird, you know, staring behavior. And so... I think that um, that kind of reaction is something that you, as a as a as a cleft person, you you learn uh, to to accept over time. And it's interesting. It helped me uh, learn how to read people better because you when, when you when you first meet someone and you start to realize okay. They're looking at me as a uh, like an exhibit in a zoo versus a person. Mm-hmm. you You pick up those uh, uh, reactions instinctively. and And even to this day, and, and this helped me through my career, um, I think I'm pretty good at reading people. I'm pretty good at seeing, okay, that person is actually really interested in what I have to say. Or that person really is interested, or that person is, uh, you know, just more curious about, you know, like getting to lunch than actually listening to what I'm saying. So I think that uh, growing up with a cleft, um, you know, although was very challenging because, y- you know, al- unless you grow up in a world where you're constantly stared at as a curiosity, it's really it's really hard to explain what that feels like. Um, you you just learn to live with it and and you learn to have really thick skin um i think one of the things that that helped me a lot was i didn't have a lot of the other challenges that um cleft kids have so uh, even though i was born and they put um tubes in my ears uh and uh you know i had to have uh later on i had to have uh, you know, bone grafts into my cleft. Um, I didn't suffer uh, hearing disabilities, uh, nor did I have major speech impediments. Uh, my my voice is even now a little nasally, but you know, certainly you can understand what I'm saying. Uh, and so, aside from the uh, pr- pretty obvious scars that I had on my face uh, uh, until I grew, grew this mustache, um, you know, I I didn't really uh have a lot of the other challenges that i think uh kids have but look i mean one one of the things that is really tough when you're growing up uh is uh i think kids in particular need to have north stars they need to have you know from their parents their friends mentors that fun uncle or uh friend you know they, they need people to look up to and say okay uh you know, I look at my dad and I go like, okay, that's what a man is supposed to be like. Or I look at my mom and go, that's what a woman's supposed to be like. Um, when when you're when you're born with a cleft, um, it's very challenging to find uh, people, mentors uh, to look at and go like, oh, okay, that person grew grew up with the same thing I have, and it didn't stop them from being super successful. Um, and so I I remember in my early, uh, teenage years, um, I started to think about, okay, um, you know, I wonder how this is going to impact me, uh, career-wise and for the rest of my life. And at that, at that point, you know, I was, I was still, uh, you know, very introverted. I was, uh, obese. Uh, I, I, escaped in food. Uh, and I, I will say, honestly, I, I don't think I really had a lot of friends, uh, uh, and so I, I I did remember thinking about like, OK, what, what will where will my life lead? And so I remember asking my mother, like, who, who else has what I have? Because I, I grew up in Asia, in Hong Kong, and um, I actually never saw another cleft person until I came to the United States. Uh, yeah. And so I was the only one. The, the only cleft person I ever saw was me every day in the mirror uh and so i uh i i searched for um you know people to look up to mentors and there were none i couldn't find anybody the, the only the only person my mom ever raised with me was an actor stacy Keach, uh who who played um you know my camera on a tv show uh um, yeah. and but that was it and you know obviously i have nothing in common with this guy right and, and you know, it, it carried through, I think, if I'm really honest about it, I, I think it really carried me through even through college, like I wasn't, you know, I, I definitely had a, a broader group of friends, but uh, I didn't, I didn't turn into, uh, uh, you know, I think nowadays, the people that know me, I think, view me more, much more extroverted, but I, I didn't, I didn't turn into that probably until earlier, um, you know, in my career, honestly, so kind of in my early 20s early to mid 20s and i still remember when when i was going up the corporate ladder uh and i was kind of a a really really good worker bee, you know junior guy didn't didn't say much you know just kind of was really good at numbers i remember thinking that wow I'm, i'm looking around and you know people like that don't seem to get very far uh and i i I had really big ambitions for myself. I, I wanted to make a lot of money because I needed to take care of myself and my family. We, we didn't have any money. And so I I remember thinking, look, you know, you you just gotta just suck it up. And, you know, if people are gonna look at you weird, they're gonna look at you weird, right? It's just kind of the way it is. Uh, and um, and so I started to progress and uh, my confidence grew. And, um, you know, when I, when I was approaching thirty, uh, I, I was actually starting to to really grow, you know, a lot more facial hair, and that was when I decided to to grow this bushy, <laughs> you know, uh, a mustache and everything. But um, but it, it's very challenging, and that, that's a big reason why I am so uh, focused on helping organizations uh, like Smile Train, uh, because I I do think that um, kids. That grow up with clefts, particularly that are highly visible. So cleft lip, um, they 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 go through uh, uh, you know a very tough period, which is already tough in itself, which is adolescence, um, and uh, they need they need as much help as they as they can get. And I think one of the challenges is that there, uh, you know, there's a lot there's been a lot of great work already done where. We, we are funding, uh, you know, the initial surgeries, but as, as you rightly mentioned, you know, I, I had almost 12 surgeries, uh, and I, I didn't need the additional therapies, the uh, speech and hearing therapy, but, uh, most kids need those, uh, you know, half a dozen to dozen surgeries and the therapy to ultimately get just to, just to even just to par with a normal kid. Um, and so, uh, that's going to be a a big focus of mine uh, with, with smile train trying to help them think about, you know, the whole life cycle and helping kids, not just with that initial surgery, but throughout their lives. And one last thing I'll just add from my own personal story was that um, I'm actually not done from a surgery standpoint, but I I had already started working and I needed to work. I needed to make money. And uh, you know, I just told my doctor, I said, look, I'm done. Like, I don't want any plastic surgery. I don't want any more, you know, I don't need you to fix my nose. You know, this fat nose is all I got. It's fine. I can smell. It's good enough. Uh, You know, I don't don't need you to, you know, I have an underbite. You know, I don't need you to break my upper jaw and move it forward so I have a regular bite. I I don't need those three more surgeries. So even though I, I, you know, theoretically, I still am due three more, I I decided in my early 20s, forget it. I'm done.
0: Wow. Yeah, it's
1: amazing everything you said. And I mean, obviously, you're an incredible guy. And, you know, going through hardship, you know, you always have a choice, right? Am I going to let it make me stronger or is it going to break me? And you're one of those, like, you know, people that really, as you said, you were looking for people to look up to. You're now that guy that all these kids can look to and say, wow, Here's a guy who had what I had and um, look, at what, look at what he became. And it was like you said, like, you know, you looked around and you, you found ways like I got to do what I got to do. And then you just went and did it and no excuses and cleft or no cleft. It just it didn't matter. You had, you know, tunnel vision for what you wanted to accomplish and you weren't going to let anything get in your way. And so I think kids who have clefts can look at you now as a real inspiration and i think that's that's an amazing thing and i and i love what you said about smile train because we absolutely love them and you know that's why we made them one of our beneficiaries for the true heart search engine and it's incredible what they do and i think one of the things that i learned the most from it was that you you think oh you just get the surgeries and then you're done you know you're fixed you know but it's not the case it's an ongoing thing with therapies and potentially future surgeries and so you know they're there for you they're there with you along that entire journey not just that first part of it and so they're they're an incredible organization
0: yeah we're so proud to be supporting them and knowing that they've already transformed the lives of 1.5 million kids around the world and you know with this incredible model of empowering local medical professionals who are as scott was saying you know there for the surgeries and the essential treatment and following their journeys and providing a support system and resources to the families Um, it's absolutely amazing life-saving work um, that they're doing and they really are as they say changing the world one smile at a time so you are definitely someone as, as Scott said that, you know, these kids can look up to and representation matters, you know, no matter what your background is, you have to see people that you identify with so that you can realize what you can become. And in the cleft community, as you said, there, there aren't that many people that have come forward and really stepped into the spotlight to share their journey. And, you know, you're blessed to have this amazing platform as a successful entrepreneur and businessman, that I think so many kids will will learn about your story um, and be inspired to know that they can also have this beautiful, full, successful life and really realize their full potential.
2: Yeah, I, I so I, I don't, I definitely don't consider myself uh, a hero or uh, you know, frankly, anything beyond just a normal person. Uh, but I do think that uh, it's a little bit of a cliche, but you know what what doesn't break you makes you stronger. And I think in many ways, I think I was blessed to have a cleft because it made me really tough uh, really early, and it also made me focused intently on achieving everything I wanted to achieve. And so. I, I've never really been uh, feared anything. Um, I've really, you know, dove headfirst into whatever I want to accomplish or whatever I want to do. And if I can just convince one kid out there that they could be, you know, CEO of a company or, uh, you know, uh, a world world's best cartoonist, like that that's all I that's all I really want, because uh, being being really open, you know, with you guys there there're definitely times where you wonder like you know will will I ever you know be able to be viewed as anything more than just a curiosity you know um as and I, and I think this is also one of the challenges uh that a lot of kids face and and I know that they'll resonate when I say the following um is that you ask yourself will I ever be loved by anybody um you know, obviously, you know, your family, your, your parents, your mother, like they, they love you unconditionally, but you know, when, when, when you grow up as this weird looking fat kid, you do ask yourself, like, you know, is, is any, anyone ever going to find me attractive? Right. Um, and every single cleft kid I know, even though they may not say it publicly, they're thinking that they're, they're asking themselves, will I ever be loved by anybody? Uh, and so, I'm I'm just trying to help in a small way that community which I grew up with. And there's a lot of great causes out there, uh, but this is one that's obviously you know very personal to me. And uh, I I do think that there are not enough um, uh, you know mentors uh, you know people for these kids to look up to. And so if I can be that person, great. Then I've I've accomplished one of the you know, major things I wanted to do in my life, which is to help other people.
0: Well, that's beautiful. And I think you you already are doing that. Um, So switching gears, Dave, we know you're fascinated by the study of human behavior. Talk to us about what it takes to form a new habit.
1: Yeah, because I just to segue into this, I'm super fascinated by this because a like I think people look at this and they think, you know, everything that we do is, is habitual, right? You, you, you ingrain yourself into habits, sometimes good, a lot of times bad. It could be like really serious, like uh, using drugs. It could be more like, I just wanna lose some weight. It could be like, I wanna like find a better partner. Um, it could be, I wanna make more money and find a better career for myself. But like habits are the one thing that are like your ceiling, you know? And you can't, if you can't break through them, you won't lose weight. You won't find a better partner. You won't, you know, find a better career. And they're the hardest thing to break. Like for me personally, like over the pandemic, like I put on some weight, you know, I was like stress eating and I couldn't exercise. And I know a lot of people did. And now, I mean, maybe because I'm not in my twenties and I, all I had to do was like think about it. And the next day I'd wake up five pounds lighter. I actually have <laughs> to like earn it. And it's really hard. And I go through the day where like, I'm great at breakfast, I'm great at lunch, but then dinner comes and it's a disaster zone. And like, so like breaking through, creating new habits is such an, I think for everybody, such an interesting thing. And I remember you said when we spoke, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you'd said, you know, I, I study human behavior. So I think this is one of those things that's so interesting to people about how they can get out of those habitual patterns and really kind of change their life, improve their lives.
2: Yeah, so I I'm a huge believer in uh, cognitive bias and study of human behavior uh, because I do believe that that is the key to uh, you know hacking yourself, hacking your career, and particularly if you get into positions of leadership, uh, I think it's the key to really motivating people to, to do what you want them to do. Um, but beneath that, the it's really all about. Uh, motivation and incentives. It's about what incents people into the behavior that either they want for themselves or you want for them. And I also uh, am a big believer, uh, and this has been validated by uh, a lot of research in uh, psychology research, you know, best-selling authors and whatnot, Nobel Prize winners, that um, behavior change is very, very difficult. And one of the proven ways to change uh, behavior is to develop habits um and habit forming is very very challenging um, because typically you're trying to put in a habit that's changing something uh that you haven't been doing before and inertia human inertia is one of the most powerful forces you know that we have probably probably as powerful as gravity. Absolutely. Uh, And therefore, the way that I think about um, how do you encourage habit forming to create better behavior, um, I think the way that you need to think through that for yourself, for the people that you work for, the people that work for you, is a reward system. You need to reward yourself or uh, those around you with those new habit forming behaviors. And, And if there's enough of a reward system, then eventually, if you're successful, those habits or those those behavior changes do become habits. So, for instance, um, one one of the things that I think uh, you know works well for me for weight loss, um, and and may or may not work for you, is that I make sure that if Uh, If I'm say on some type of regimen where I'm trying to lose weight, you know, I'm on my uh, on my bike or I'm swimming and I'm thinking, okay, um, you know, what is this for? Is is this really making any difference? Is that every morning um, I look at myself in the mirror with my shirt off and I look at that guy and go like, man, you you, you really (laughs) got to get in shape. I don't know what you're doing to yourself, but like that, that person in the mirror, that's not the person you want to be. Right. That may or may not
1: have happened to me once or twice in the last year right. and a half.
2: So you, so you start off looking at that guy or gal and you say like, I, I, I really, I really got to change. Right. And then, and then you you start those first few days of cycling or swimming or running. And then, you know, hopefully, you you start looking at yourself in the mirror and you start to you either get fed up more fed up with the way you look or you start to see improvement and you start to say oh starting to work you know I, I went from a keg to like a six pack right or i uh, i i start i'm starting to see some improvement um and and i think that's how you um uh, you know change behavior like for instance another another way uh, that that I would do with some of the people uh that I work for and and, and work for me was uh we, we all love praise, right? And particularly if it's given in the moment uh and is is very genuine. Uh and so if you were trying to encourage uh some of your uh people to work harder or work smarter, um I think a little bit of encouragement goes a long way. And it doesn't have to wait until you know the annual review process in, in fact it probably shouldn't it should happen every day it should happen whenever you see it um but i think i think building in some type of small reward system for yourself or uh or the people that are trying to change your behavior with with habits i think goes a long way in um in ultimately making that part of your 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 behavior uh, an, uh, one last way that that i've done it. Uh, is I try to sandwich that habit in between other activities or other uh, regular uh, behaviors. So, for instance, um, you know, I I, 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 I I love reading books. Uh, I don't have a lot of time to read all the books that I want to read. Uh, but with a, the with a power of podcasts and uh, underwater headphones, I can listen to lots of books while I'm swimming. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great so- idea that's another way just kind of sandwiching, you know, the the habit, the habit you want to form in between some type of existing behavior uh, has worked really well for me. Uh, and so I think a combination of maybe thinking about a reward system and then having it, having that new habit or behavior slipstream into some existing behavior are two ways that I think are quite effective um, in, in ultimately creating habits that are, are good for you. So quick
1: question, yes or no. Would a good reward system for myself be if I lose two pounds, I can have a bucket of popcorn with milk duds? <laughs> what? That's probably. I
0: think that defeats the purpose. Yes,
1: that's that's a no.
2: Yeah, probably, probably not.
1: That's yeah. my problem. My reward oh, system.
0: But look,
2: like if you if you lose twenty pounds, you could have that.
1: <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. And that's my favorite combination I had as a kid. It's
0: true.
1: Popcorn and milk duds combined together. Uh, that would be a pretty good reward.
2: Yeah. yeah. I, I, you you deserve it. If you lose 20 pounds, <laughs> you deserve it. And <laughs> have, have, have some beer, too.
0: Well, you know, for me, Dave, Scott and I have been talking about this a lot lately. You know, after a little over a year and a half of not being able to, you know, work out and staying safe to stay home with our with our family, you know, hot yoga is the place where I find my calm and my serenity. And it's, It's so good for me, not just physically, but also for my mental health and my spiritual practice. And there's just only so many hours in the day when you own businesses and you have a family. So you know, my goal is to get there four times a week. But you know, I was looking at our calendar with Scott. And I said, you know, how am I going to do this where I'm not falling asleep on the mat taking a night class, and I can't do it during the day. And I came up with you know, a way to do it that was not my favorite way. But I said, look, if I get up at 5 a.m., I can make it to a 6 a.m. class twice a week and then add in these two more times that I could go. And it sucks getting up at the crack of dawn. But once I'm five minutes into the class and I've done my first few poses, I'm feeling great. And when it's over, I've gotten my workout out of the way. And it's an amazing way to start the day. And I came to realize that change won't happen unless you're willing to move beyond what's uncomfortable. So, you know, it was a small price to pay to get in this workout, which I need for me to feel like whole and good inside. And so to do it, I'm doing something that's, you know, a little bit uncomfortable, but after doing it a few times, um, you adjust. And then it's no big deal, and now I'm walking in, I'm high-fiving my you know, yoga teacher, I'm smiling, and I know it's the best way for me to start my day. So I was able to form that new habit. I think there's a lot of mind over matter by just recognizing that what's on the other side was worth it for me to make this sacrifice and, and move forward. Yeah, I mean,
2: the, more power to you, because I think what you did is actually quite hard uh, because you you actually in, introduce a new behavior and probably you know sacrifice something else in order to do that um and and i actually think that that's actually uh emblematic of your personality right i think that that you're probably the type of person if if we look back in your history like you're you're able to do that right i think most people aren't <laughs> i think most people have a really hard time and so i think the again what, what i've found to be Quite effective is this sandwich approach, where you you don't actually even think of it as change. You just think, okay, I, I've been eating sandwiches my whole life. I'm just going to add a different piece of meat in the middle or a different you know uh, ingredient with the bread. Uh, and, and one last example, which, which actually worked really well for me, was that I love watching television, right? Like at night, I love Netflix. I love watching stuff, right? Th- those are those are times where you're literally a potato, right? You're not doing anything. Yeah. So, so I, I got a stationary bike and I I basically cycle when I watch TV. And and I and I wow. tell myself, as long as you're cycling, you can watch as much TV as you want. Yeah. Right. And and you know, that's been in, incredibly helpful because like what that means is that on any given night, I'm getting at least an hour, maybe an hour and a half worth of, you know, cycle time and I'm be able to watch television. So I think th- that, that behavior where you're, you're trying to hack it and trying to figure out a way to have it draft off of some existing behavior is probably the, 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 the most likely path for people that have a hard time changing the way they do things. I love Absolutely. that, smart.
1: Yeah. Uh, I want to give my one little hack for losing weight. And that is that after dinner, I will force myself to go brush my teeth and floss And then that way, because I'm pretty lazy about wanting to like the, I, then I have, if I go downstairs, I'm like, I'm hungry. I kind of want to eat something. I'm like, do I really want to go brush my teeth. Like it's that big a deal, but do I really want to go brush my teeth and fly? And most of the time I'm like, I don't want it. So it saves me from the late night eating because I've gone through this thing that I don't want to have to do twice.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Totally. But it's
1: but your sandwich approach is better because it it I've always been like really good about doing a lot of stuff when I have something to look forward to. And if I'm like, I'm gonna go do that, I'll do so many things that I wouldn't normally want to do because I'm looking forward to doing something that I want. And so I think it's a great idea.
0: Well, Dave, you have this amazing new book coming out in the fall, The Way of the Wall Street Warrior. So uh, let's dig into that. Um, tell us about the inspiration uh, behind this book. Yeah, so the
2: inspiration, like every, like you've learned through this call, it, a lot of it stems from my kids. So um, as, as, as you may or may not know, so I, I, before I became an entrepreneur and an investor, I was an a investment banker for a long time, almost 25 years. And uh, during that time, I rose from the, what I call the janitor suite, so the entry level, all the way to managing director and co-head of an industry group. Um, and uh, during, during that period of time, um, I had to adapt and change my skill set in order to, to make that change, uh, because there's a lot of different levels, and the skill set required at every level is quite different. Uh, one of the things I talk about in my book is to, to get into uh, the career, uh, you, you can be a master at checkers. But to get to the top, you have to become a grandmaster at chess. Mm-hmm. So it's a very different skill set along the way. Um, and uh, for a, a lot of reasons that I share in my book, you know, I think I, I was able to do that uh, by learning about human behavior, uh, thinking about what incents people, what incents my boss, uh, and and how to get the most out of my precious hours out of the day. Now, along, along the way, one, one of the challenges is that... Uh, you know, Wall Street is a very competitive environment, uh, like a lot of other industries like Silicon Valley and Hollywood. Uh, But there's a lot of diversity kind of at the entry level. So you see, you know, different ethnic groups, uh, a lot of women, you know, a, a lot of diversity at the entry level. But as you get closer to the middle and the higher end of the hierarchy, a lot of that diversity disappears. And I think that a big part of the reason is that the skills required to move up the corporate ladder are not taught anywhere. Mm. They don't teach you. I went to, I had the, the, the privilege of going to two of the top business schools in the country and they don't, they don't teach you any of that stuff, you know, uh, anywhere. And so, um, what I decided to do was write down some of my tips and tricks and ideas for my boys, because, uh, obviously they're they're gonna be raised as Asian American and Asian Americans, uh, I think in particular are taught to follow the rules and keep your head down and work hard and everything will take care of itself. That's kind of uh, a very generic, but like that's certainly the way I was raised. And I think a lot of Asian Americans were raised. And what I learned the hard way is that's not the way the real world works. Uh, work, working hard and just keeping your head down a lot of times can just be a recipe for a, a unfulfilling career uh, in middle management. So I started, I started to write these things down and the, the whole thing snowballed into uh, something where uh, a lot of people advisors told me, Hey, you know, a lot of the things that you are uh, talking about, um, you know, c- could be helpful to, uh the new generation of people either coming into the workforce or people that are already in the workforce and trying to figure out how to rise the corporate ladder. Um, and so I put this book together. Uh, it's a labor of love. It's, uh, uh, it's coming out in November uh, of this year. Uh, my publisher is Wiley, uh, who publishes a lot of uh, business books. Um, but there there are, uh, I think, a couple uh, unique elements to the book that uh, we haven't seen before. So one is, um, as far as, as, uh, I know there has never been a book written by someone, uh, from wall street from kind of the entry level to the senior level. You, you, you generally see two types of books. Uh, one is the entry level uh, or junior people who have worked on wall street for a couple of years. Uh, and the books usually are of the same ilk. They talk about how the industry sucks uh, the the work life is terrible, and I got out of it before you know I lost my sanity. Uh, yeah, there's the
0: horror stories.
2: The horror stories, but look at all the funny things that happen on Wall Street, right? And then and then the other batch are like, you know, I'm the CEO, I'm the head, I'm the master of the universe. If if you just did what I did, you you too can be great, right? Yeah. Um, so I I wanted to write a book that is actually a tactical guide to go up the corporate ladder. Um, so, so that's one. I think it's somewhat unique from that standpoint. Second, um, as we've talked about on this podcast, I'm a huge believer in, in analyzing human behavior, and there have been so many in the last 20 years. There have been so many best-selling books that have talked about how to how people are irrational, uh, how they they don't necessarily think like you know in economics what we call perfect agents. Um, and so I wanted to write a tactical book to put that in use, right? So you know we all know about risk aversion. Uh, we know about affinity bias. Uh, we know about prospect theory, where we we tend to um, you know uh, uh, fear losses uh, twice as much as we uh, love gains. Um, but all of these Nobel Prize winning theories are all interesting. But how do you actually use that to get promoted? How do you use that to get paid more? How do you use that to motivate your team? So these are the kind of things that, that I've put to use and I talk about in my book about what are some of the ways that I've used loss aversion, prospect theory, survivorship bias. How, do I, how have I used that in my career? So that's kind of the second thing that, that is different. And then third, um, I unfortunately you know, have read more business books uh, in my life than I ever cared to. Uh, and uh, what I found is that many of them really only have one or two or three things to say after 300 pages. Um, and, and a lot of them are quite, uh, boring, honestly. Uh, they, they have this disembodied narrator voice and they are lecturing you like a professor at business school. And so, um, as you probably can tell a little bit from my personality, that that's not me. And so I wanted to write a humorous book. So I wanted to write a book that even if you thought everything I talked about, uh, you know, doesn't apply to you. Uh, you already knew it because you're already super successful. I still wanted to write a book that you would read and go, OK, you know, yeah, I'm not sure there's anything in here for me. But the guy's kind of funny and I enjoy reading this. So, um, you know, my book is written in kind of a humor, humorous, irreverent style. You know, I, I put cartoons in between each chapter. Uh, so my hope is that when people, uh, you know, read the book, they'll say, OK, this is kind of a different type take on the career book category. Uh, and, I, and I learned a few things, you know, from reading this guy's book.
1: It sounds amazing. I can't wait to read it.
0: Yeah. I mean, me, too. It sounds great. You you have so many pearls of wisdom that you've dropped just on, you know, this chat that we've had that I know, you know, with your humorous take on showing the trajectory of, as you said, going from the janitor suite to the C-suite, um, that's going to really fire up a lot of people and give them that crash course that they need. And I, I know you refer to it as smart cuts, which is awesome. But just showing people those easy tips and tricks um, that they can apply in their own lives, whether they're, you know, uh, dreaming of a career in Wall Street or in any other. Um, industry, I think these are lessons that are applicable for all.
1: Yeah, for me, uh, I find it uh, any story that's, that kind of gives you the beginning to the end in terms of like your career path is so valuable because like take actors for example, like I've always wondered like, well, how did, how did that happen? I mean, it's such an incredibly difficult industry. Uh, you know, how, how did you go from like being discovered to all of a sudden you're a major superstar? And they tend to gloss over a lot of the, they'll talk about them as a child and then they'll, they kind of gloss over the whole part where it's like, I was like living out of my car and I was going to like that part, that kind of gets glossed over. And to me, that's the most interesting part is how did you actually do it? And so a book like yours, where it's actually explaining to you, like, here's what you do. Here's the things you need to know. That's so valuable for so many people who are, like are smart and talented and want to put in the work. But like you said, they didn't learn it in school. Their parents might not have told them. Their friends might not know. And so they're banging their heads against the wall trying to figure out, like, how do I, you know, get where I want to go? So I I think it's brilliant.
2: Yeah, I mean, I honestly think that the, the reason why we have so much variability in terms of success is because you know, a lot of what I talk about and my own success is, is just on the fly and uh you know live live ammunition drills. It's not you know it's not something you can uh you know really read in a book or a case study. Uh now my approach in 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 educating people is uh telling them uh you know what worked for me, uh giving examples of what worked for me. Um, but really just opening their mind to that. There are other ways to think about uh, how to get promoted, or there are other ways to think about, you know, how to get paid more. Uh, and some, sometimes it's not obvious to people that you need to learn these, uh, these rules of the game and and you need to understand that, you know, the the rules are fluid and, and you're really just developing skills that apply in lots of different situations to be successful. And, uh, you know, I, I've had the the privilege and honor of working with so many successful people as either their advisor or their co-founder or their investor, and I will tell you that the most successful people I know um, really do have uh, you know a a, a skill set where they can play lots of different games. They can play chess. They can play checkers. They can play you know uh, go. Uh, it's not about being very rigid and just focusing on okay my boss told me this is what needs to happen in order for me to get promoted right um yeah you you certainly need to listen to your boss and 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 your peers and understand how that happens but the the people that i know that are really successful uh play that game but also think about okay not doing anything illegal or unethical but how do i how do i use this the game to my advantage how do i get ahead so that i'm not toiling, toiling away at the same job when I hit middle age or heaven forbid, you know, retire, uh, you know, stuck in the same career and look back and go like, what did I, what did I do for 30, 40 years?
0: Hey everybody. We hope you're enjoying today's show. Don't forget head on over wherever podcasts are found or to YouTube. If you want the full experience and subscribe. And if you're loving the show, you can leave us a positive review or give us a five-star rating. It means the world to us. Today's show is brought to you by our friends at Tushy.
1: Are you still wiping your butt with all that toilet paper you hoarded last year? How's that going for you? Let me introduce you to a new way to clean after you handle your business. Meet Hello Tushy. Tushy is the modern bidet that easily clips to any toilet and installs in just 10 minutes. Starting at just $99, Tushy sprays a precise stream of clean water and washes away all of that literal crap that toilet paper leaves behind. Upgrade your bathroom experience by going to HelloTushy, T-U-S-H-Y dot com. That's HelloTushy dot com. Tushy saves the environment and reduces your carbon butt print. Tushy saves you money on toilet paper and Tushy saves your butt. Go to HelloTushy.com. That's T-U-S-H-Y.com. Stop wiping, start washing with Tushy.
0: True Heart is brought to you by This Saves Lives. This Saves Lives is a ridiculously delicious food brand that gives back. Every single purchase sends life-saving food to a child in need. Co-founders Kristen Bell, Ryan Devlin, Todd Grinnell, and Ravi Patel launched This Saves Lives with a simple motto. Buy a bar, feed a child, we eat together. Now with more than just bars, their products contain premium ingredients and are non-GMO, gluten-free, and kosher dairy. Their unique line of kids' products all contain one full serving of fruits and vegetables and are safe for school. To buy their ridiculously delicious snacks, head on over to thissaveslives.com. True Heart is brought to you by Half United.
1: For over a decade, lifestyle brand Half United has been using fashion to feed people all over the world to break the cycle of generational poverty the community provides gainful employment to local artisans and vulnerable communities who create their handmade and sustainable products for every half united product purchase seven meals are given to a child in need half united has donated over 1 million meals to date shop their beautiful jewelry tees handbags and home accessories at halfunited.com and help fight global hunger
0: true heart is brought to you by brothers meatballs say ciao to tradition and hello to your new favorite plant-based italian bistro in los angeles brothers meatballs brothers meatballs was founded by brothers and food industry veterans moro and sergio corbia who hail from the isle of sardinia italy when they joined forces with second-generation Italian chef Mark Middleman, their self-proclaimed brother from another mother, the concept for Brothers Meatballs was born. Morrow was the founder and creator of Morrow's Cafe Inside Fred Siegel, a long-standing LA hotspot. Dissatisfied with the amount of plant-based dining options reminiscent of the home-cooked meals their mother once made, the brothers were determined to create a menu so delicious it would appeal to herbivores and omnivores alike. Inspired by the food mama so lovingly prepared for Sunday suppers, these meatballs are a modern take on a family classic. All menu items are 100% plant-based and made with mama's secret ingredient. Love Angelino's can order lunch and dinner Wednesday through Sunday at brothersmeatballs.com.
1: Since Dave talked about his work with Smile Train, one of our favorite nonprofits, we wanted to do something special and invite one of the inspiring kids who receive life-saving care from Smile Train on the show. Check it out.
0: Zach is 11 years old and he's a walking miracle. What an amazing kid. He was born in Ethiopia with a severe bilateral cleft lip and palate. Zach's mama, Allison, recounted that as with so many children born with clefts around the world, his birth family's reaction was to consider him part of a curse. Between such cultural views, a lack of medical care, and wide-scale poverty in Ethiopia, it's estimated that over 90% of babies with cleft lip and palate in that country do not survive. Allison adopted Zach, and they're an incredible family. Allison, what makes Zach so special? Zach's always been special. He's always just been really expressive and just
1: just wholehearted, Um, even when he was little. He's just had kind of a zest for life and always just found things exciting. And as he gets older, he's just learning so much, but he's also using that, he always has in his mind what he can do for other people. Um, He's just got that kind of extroverted charisma. He likes to entertain, likes to make other people smile as well. So he's just always giving. And I really appreciate that about him.
0: Zach, you're a super strong guy. Um, So after having all of these surgeries and now having this beautiful smile, what's something that you want uh, people to know, Zach, about kids um, who have clefts? Um, Well, I want them to know that um,
1: they're going to be
0: okay when they go
2: through their 11th surgery or whatever surgery they are on and that, um, that it will help mom have a nice smile.
0: So um, Zach, what does Smile Train mean to you? Why is this organization so important to you? Um, Smile Train is important to me because, um, they helped me with
2: my, with my plus-lip and palette and that means, um, a lot to me. So I just really want to help, help smile Train. Hey everyone. We have some big news.
0: We do. We are teaming up with the new search engine, True Heart, to co-host the new Search for Smiles campaign.
2: Now, every three minutes, a baby is born with a cleft lip, which can cause difficulties with eating, breathing, hearing, and speaking. Over the past 21 years, Smile Train has helped transform the lives of over 1.5 million children with clefts they empower local medical professionals to provide 100% free cleft surgeries and essential treatment for kids in their own communities.
0: And you can support Smile Train today by simply changing your search engine to Trueheart.
2: Trueheart donates 80% of their net profits
0: to charity, and your searches will power donations to Smile Train and five
2: other amazing charities. So make the switch to Trueheart. I mean seriously, it just it just takes a few seconds and it's free.
0: So go to TrueHeart.com and help change the world one smile at a time.
1: Hey guys, don't forget to subscribe to TrueHeart. You can also leave us a great five-star review if you're feeling especially uh, rambunctious. We would love that and be very grateful. You can also find us on YouTube if you want the full show experience and you can subscribe there.
0: And we want to give a special shout out and thank you to today's guests, Dave Liu, Zach and Allison Pagan. It was wonderful having you with us, and we're so glad we got to share your inspiring stories. And don't forget, we'd love to have you as part of our True Heart community. You can start searching with us at trueheart.com where you can change the world with every search.
1: Don't forget too, that also donates and raises money for Smile Train who we've been talking about today.
0: Yes, and our five other incredible charities that we're so proud to support, Global Green, Action Against Hunger, Flag National, Four Paws for Ability, and Variety, Boys and Girls Club. So shout out to all six of our amazing nonprofit partners and the incredible work that they're doing on the front lines every day, creating change in communities around the world. So keep it locked here. We have another amazing show for you next week. We have an incredible lineup of guests this season, and we're just having a great time making the show for all of you. So we hope you're loving it as much as we are. And um, we're going to see you next week.